before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. If you head over to Bet Online Sportsbook and use our promo code Believe50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, on your first deposit with the link in the description of this episode, you can place some wagers on NBA championship futures. Now, I'm going to give you three teams that are great value right now. Will they all win the championship? No. Can you cash out later and make a profit? Yes, you can. Denver Nuggets, plus 750, great value play. Philadelphia 76ers, plus 1,400, excellent value play. And the Cleveland Cavaliers at plus 2,500. Will they win the championship? Probably not. They can make a deep run in the playoffs. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody. It is a fantabulous February 23rd according to my count. It may not be that according to your count. But we appreciate just stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening. We have been on the book publicity tour over the last three days. We went on the Locked on Spurs podcast and that's going to be here on Take It Easy tomorrow. Friday's episode headed into the weekend is going to be us on the Locked on Spurs podcast with our friend Jeff Garcia talking about our book So we've been doing all this stuff for the past three days around the book. And again, you can purchase it right now. Link is in the description of this episode. Our book on the Spurs dynasty, the most successful dynasty in the history of North American pro sports. It's available now wherever you get books. It's fitting because we're going to talk about the present day Spurs, which is where the book ends in our story Because there's a really interesting story going on with Victor Wembenyama and the San Antonio Spurs and a handful of other teams. And uh, on Monday, there was a profile by Brian Windhorst that was talking about Victor Wembenyama. And it looks like I've already started talking about what we're going to talk about today. But I just wanted to put out there again, you can buy the book. You can listen to the audio book on our Fall of the Spurs Dynasty podcast feed. It's available wherever it is that you get podcasts. Just wanted to put that out there. Again, we've been doing a lot of work on that the past few days, so check it out. Today on the show, we're going to talk about Victor Wembenyama and, for part of it, the San Antonio Spurs, who are following the structures and systems of the NBA that dictate the best strategy is to lose a bunch of games so that you can be in a position to acquire the top pick and also accumulate a whole bunch of draft picks. It's a really interesting thing going on right now, and we'll get to more of the structures and system stuff later. But first, Victor Wembenyama. So Brian Windhorst, who began his career covering LeBron James in Ohio and then later in Miami, Brian Windhorst, 
who's now a mega NBA insider, works for ESPN. He and Jonathan Gavoni, who is the Mel Kuyper Jr. of the NBA draft process, they went to France to interview Victor Wembenyama and do this big profile on Wemby or Big Vic or whatever you want to call him because Wembenyama is apparently a difficult name to pronounce. For those who don't know who Victor Wembenyama is, he is the prospect who is guaranteed to be a Hall of Famer. And I know that's silly to say. He is treated with the same veracity as seven picks in the last, shall we say, 28 years, call it once every four years, he is treated with the same veracity of a once every four years player because I've articulated for years that NBA generations are about five years long. The prime of a professional basketball player is about 24 to 30. So five to six year generations is basically what we're talking about here. And within each generation, there are about four to five superstar caliber players. And about once a generation, there is a prospect where everyone looks up and says, that is one of those four players. We can identify at 16 years old that that's one of those four superstars. In the current generation, those four superstars are Giannis, Jokic, Anthony Davis, and Joel Embiid. And Anthony Davis is obviously injury-permitting situation. Some people argue Anthony Davis's career has been an incredible disappointment, despite the fact that he was the best player on a championship team in the bubble with the Lakers. And even if he doesn't have that championship, or even if you articulate LeBron as the best player from that team, he put up a Hall of Fame career outside of those numbers. And when he has been healthy the past four seasons, he has been statistically one of the five to 10 best players in all of the NBA. But Anthony Davis was the player from his generation that was identified at a young age as that person is going to be a superstar. Joel Embiid was the number one pick in his draft class far and away until he broke his foot Right before the draft process, he fell to number three with the 76ers, missed two full seasons while dealing with injury, and only played 31 games in his third season, and still turned into a Hall of Fame generational superstar, because those players are identified at a young age as that person has the best chance of being the generational superstar. And most of the time, it ends up being right. If we go back in time to the players who were identified from an early age as this person would be the number one pick in three different draft classes, which Wembenyama applies to this class. If he had been eligible for the draft last year at 18 years old, he would have been the number one pick in the draft over Paolo Bancaro and Keegan Murray and Chet Holmgren. He would have been the number one pick in his draft class far and away. This year, he's going to be the number one pick in his draft class. And if for some reason he decided while playing professionally in France that he was going to stay for an extra year, not play a single basketball game, he would be the number one pick in next year's draft class. Wembenyama is the number one pick in the 2022, 2023, and 2024 draft class, regardless of which one he declares to. You couldn't say the same thing about Paolo Bancaro because 
if Big Vic had been in Paolo's draft class, Big Vic would have been picked over Paolo. Wembenyama is the guy every five years that we point to and say, yep, if you're taking a draft of every player to enter the league in a five-year span, that's the number one pick. For the current generation that's about to enter the league, it is Victor Wembenyama over Jalen Green, over Paolo Bancaro. He is the guy identified as the number one player to enter the league in a five-year span. In the generation we now, I call the Luka, John Morant, Zion Williamson generation, Zion Williamson was that guy. And Zion Williamson, you know, there's talk about what R.J. Barrett could have done. Zion Williamson probably would have been the number one pick in 2018, 2019, and 2020, depending on when he entered the NBA draft. The generation before that, it was Anthony Davis. And while Anthony Davis's career has not quite panned out the way that some might have anticipated, the difference is a Hall of Fame basketball player who is the best player on one championship team instead of an all-time great player who is a champion on five different teams. I'm not going to argue Anthony Davis's career has been a disappointment. It's a testament to how ridiculously high the expectations were for Anthony Davis's career. The generation before that, which is, you know, what I call now the Steph Curry, Kevin Durant generation, that player was kind of Derrick Rose. And again, Derrick Rose is in a situation where, yeah, his career turned out a disappointment only because of the immense expectations put on him. And he won a league MVP at 22 years old. It was kind of Derrick Rose who they knew was going to be the number one pick in the 2009 draft class from before he was ever picked by Chicago or Chicago had won the lottery or played a season at Memphis. It was kind of identified as Derrick Rose from that generation. And obviously the generation before it is LeBron James. And whether you compare Big Vic to LeBron, which many people have done, Winhorst articulates it as such in his article that Wembenyama is the biggest prospect is the highest graded prospect since LeBron James uh, I believe it was Woj who said if LeBron and Wembenyama had been entering the draft this year at the same time Wembenyama would have been number one and LeBron would have been number two so this is the guy for this generation and he's been identified as such for a couple of years now since he was about 16, 17 years old. The profile that Windhorse and Gavoni do is really interesting, and I've linked it in the description of this episode. It's about a 20-minute read on Wembenyama. One of the things they talk about is at 14 years old, he moved out of his parents' house and got his own apartment, started playing semi-pro basketball and then eventually professional basketball. Last year, he was playing in the second-best league in the world, which is the Spanish First Division which is the league that uh, five years ago Luka Doncic won the MVP in at 18 years old. He was playing in that league and then went back to France, not to play for the best team in France, but to play for just another team in France, which is called Metropolitans 92. And while Big Vic is absolutely dominating that league, The roster is structured in such a way that they have a lot of players who are playing for their first time in 
Europe. One of the players who they they mentioned in the article is Tremont Waters, who uh, about four years ago made a buzzer beater for LSU to go to the Sweet 16, and he was kind of bouncing between G League and two-way contracts, and now he's playing in France. And it's a lot of players who are in their early to mid-20s, and the entire team is constructed in such a way that it is tailored towards Wembenyama's development even though he'll leave in one year, they get the development out of him. And oh, by the way, he's leading the French league in scoring because he's the biggest basketball prospect since, you know, since insert name here, best basketball prospect of a generation and would be theoretically putting up 24 points a game in the NBA right now at 19 years old if he were able to go in the draft to play in the NBA and so he's spending a year with this team and there's a super interesting profile that goes into some of those details. The article articulates this point that I want to emphasize which is since he was 16 or 17 years old he's been identified as the guy. He is seven foot four, seven foot five wearing shoes and could still be potentially growing. He shoots three-pointers at a rate, at, he shoots 30 foot three pointers at rates equivalent to NBA players like Luke Kennard, who are top 10 in percentage in the sport. And he does all the dribbling packages that Giannis has, can dunk a basketball without jumping. He is, by all accounts, doing the things that a super skilled five, which is Daryl Morey's term for like Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, he is doing the things that a super skilled five can do while also being seven foot five. And no one can really guard him at seven foot five when he does the moves that he does. And so he's been identified as this generational player since he was 15, 16, 17 years old. What's interesting now is that. He's reached the NBA, he's reached the stage of his career where his NBA future has become a reality, and as that future has become a reality, he has been the name associated with the draft the same way that Zion is. And we've been doing this podcast now coming up on four years. This is the first time we've done this podcast where we get to experience this live which is the generational player arriving on our doorstep. Because when we started this podcast, it was the summer after I graduated high school in 2019. That was a few weeks after Zion had been drafted and weeks or really a few months after the draft lottery to decide what team Zion was going to go to, which by that point, it was kind of a given what was going to happen. And then once the draft lottery concludes and we know what team's going to get him, we don't really get interested in the story anymore. And it's this interesting storytelling point of the NBA where before all of the actual Wembenyama arriving with on the team he's going to play for, before all of that ends up happening, the storytelling is done in the season prior. And then when the draft lottery comes, that and we, we love the draft lottery here on this show, when the draft lottery arrives, that is the moment, the story that gets told for years and years. And that's super interesting. Like that's the culminating moment is ping pong balls in a machine and people sitting on stage. And then once you know the team that's going to get him, 
we lose the interest. I remember this in 2021 when it was Trevor Lawrence, a similar type thing in football where everyone knew he was going to be the number one pick. And as soon as we knew the Jaguars had the number one pick at the end of the season, we just stopped evaluating Trevor Lawrence because we knew he was going to be the number one pick. The surprise was gone. The storytelling could have been continued, but all the storytelling had been worn out leading up to figuring out who was going to get the number one pick. And once we knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be the number one pick, we stopped analyzing him. We stopped hyping it up. We stopped telling the story. Then we started focusing on the Jets. And then it got leaked about four weeks before the draft that they were going to take Zach Wilson. And then we started focusing on the 49ers and people were trying to trick us into thinking it would be Mac Jones or Trey Lance. Once it became a foregone conclusion, we just stopped getting excited about it. And we stopped telling the story. So this is all leading up to something that's actually going to happen in about three months, about 10 weeks. 10 weeks from now, they're going to hold the draft lottery that will decide where Victor Wembanyama is going to go. And while it's you could say, oh, let's wait until he arrives in the NBA or whatever it is, like the storytelling gets done right now. There's a reason why Windhorse and Gavoni did this profile in advance is because everyone's talking about Victor Wembanyama right now. And if you're not deep into NBA circles and it's a name you might not have heard, everyone's talking about this guy as if you took all of the draft classes of the pre- since Zion Williamson entered the league. So in 2020, you had uh, that was the Lamelo Ball Anthony Edwards draft class, and then in 2021, you had who had the number one pick that year? Was that wasn't? Um, I know Scotty Barnes got picked in that draft class. Oh yeah, you had Cade Cunningham as the number one pick. You had Jalen Green as the number two pick. That draft class, which now seems kind of like a weak draft class. Then you go to 2022 in the Paolo Bancaro, Scotty Barnes, Keegan, or sorry, Paolo Bancaro, Keegan Murray, uh, Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith Jr., Jaden Ivey. Take that draft class and then take this one. And Wembenyama is the number one pick in all four draft classes based on when they entered the league. And so the storytelling is getting done now, leading up to the culminating moment of the draft lottery. And while we get super excited for the draft lottery every year, what's interesting this year is that the odds have been flattened out to 14% for the top three picks and then about 12% for the number four pick and then, you know, descending bit by bit after that. So the teams who are theoretically tanking for Wembenyama, which there are four of them right now who are seven games worse than the rest of the league they still only have a slightly better than 50-50 chance of even landing him in the first place. And so this brings me to the interesting point around the structures and systems of the NBA as a whole. Because if you want to learn more about Wembenyama the person, and he has a quote that's like, oh yeah, I see the bottom of the standings. It's Houston, San Antonio, Charlotte, and Detroit. And then Orlando's fifth. And he says there are no bad organizations, which... Trust me, bro, as someone who just wrote a book on the San Antonio Spurs and that organization, the difference between them and the drunk guy who is the governor for the Rockets, Tillman Fertitta, the drunk guy at Mardi Gras yelling pray for Wemby when, you know, you're the governor, you can't really say that part out loud. Trust me, there's a difference between the Rockets and the Spurs when it comes to good or bad organization. And so this brings me to the interesting point about the structures, because we can talk about the tanking teams and we can talk about the draft lottery and all this stuff. And ultimately, those teams have a 60% chance of landing Wembenyama. 
This is part of why that draft lottery is going to be really fun and why I love the draft lottery even when it's not in a year where they're searching for Victor Wembanyama because he could end up in Portland with Damian Lillard. There's a percentage chance he ends up in Indiana with Tyrese Halliburton. There's a scenario where he ends up on the New Orleans Pelicans with Zion because remember, they got the Lakers pick. And oh my God, could you imagine if Zion Williamson... And Victor Wembanyama got to play together. I know a bunch of conversation after that would be, can you pair Zion and Victor together? My answer, hell yeah. Hell yeah, you can put Victor and Zion Williamson together. What Are you stupid? Of course you can put those two players together on the court. And so there's a scenario where he doesn't end up for one of the top four picks in the draft. But let's talk about that drunk Governor of the Houston Rockets, Tillman Fertitta, yelling, pray for Wemby. Because for five NBA teams this year, and I'm going to lump the Orlando Magic into this group also, for five NBA teams this year, the objective is to increase your probabilities in order to acquire Victor Wembenyama. And if you don't get him, Scoot Henderson's going to be the number two pick, which maybe Scoot Henderson would be the number two pick in our theoretical put the last four draft classes together and decide the top pick. I don't know exactly where Scoot Henderson goes in here. I just know Victor Wembanyama said, Scoot's a great player. If it were any other year, he'd be the number one pick. And that's the best compliment I can give Scoot Henderson. Would be the number one pick in any other year. I mean, if we're doing our theoretical prospects of the last four years draft, I would guess Anthony Edwards, who was the number one pick in 2020, would be ahead of our man Big uh, Scoot Henderson, and then maybe Paolo, although there was talks about Paolo might not have been the number one pick last year, then Chet Holmgren gets in there, and then Cade Cunningham, you know, he's a he's a top draft pick, but let's, let's say that these teams are hoping to get one of those two players, get their Ja Morant or their... Anthony Davis, or whatever you want to call Victor Wembanyama. What's interesting about the way the NBA structures are set up is that we know that a singular player has a much larger impact on the direction of an NBA franchise than, say, a football team, or say, a baseball team. A singular player entering a basketball team as a product of there's only five players on the floor and only 15 on the entire roster, a singular basketball player entering an organization potentially impacts hundreds of millions of dollars in transactions. There's the famous story of when Zion Williamson got drafted. They sold out season tickets within like a day after they won the draft lottery. And when LeBron James was in Cleveland... The entire downtown economy of Cleveland was LeBron James-centric. He moved hundreds of millions of dollars in and around Cleveland, Ohio. Zion Williamson moved at the very least tens of millions of dollars around New Orleans and that community simply by getting drafted, or simply, in this case, winning a ping-pong ball lottery in order to get that player. And so when we're talking about moving hundreds of millions of dollars in resources, 
that player is potentially worth to your organization hundreds of millions of dollars. And if you had the ability to acquire that player on a free and open market, you would pay hundreds of millions of dollars. LeBron James would be worth over $100 million on an open market, and it's not even close because we have the the financials to back up that in LeBron James's prime, he was moving hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, not just for the Cleveland Cavaliers organization, but for the entire economy of Cleveland, Ohio. We have the data to back this up. If that player can move hundreds of millions of dollars, they are worth potentially hundreds of millions of dollars to your organization. Because of the way the NBA structures and systems are set up, Victor Wembanyama, when he enters the NBA, has a fixed salary of $10 million for the first four years of his NBA career. And when Victor Wembanyama completes those first four years and becomes the potential MVP that he is anticipated to be, he will then make about $50 million per year If it were this year, three years from now, we'll see what the financials look like after the NBA collective, after the new NBA television contract. Say it's 50 to 60 million dollars per year. That means for four years, you are potentially, if he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, getting this player for 10 cents on the dollar of what they are worth to your organization. The way the structures and systems are set up is that these organizations are getting massive boosts to their bottom line while not having to pay the labor. They will pay Victor Wembanyama 10 cents on the dollar, what he is potentially worth in the first four years of his career. And because of the way the the rookie wage scale is set up and the way that the salary cap has a max contract, in four years, you will get four more years of that player at 50 to 60 cents on the dollar of what they are worth. And this is the great system of the NBA for those teams who get those generational players. New Orleans went from Anthony Davis right to Zion Williamson, so it seems like New Orleans is the franchise that gets to benefit the most from this. Chicago got the same thing with Derrick Rose. Cleveland got the same thing with LeBron James. Oklahoma City got the same thing with Kevin Durant, who won a scoring title at 21 years old. In his second season in the league, he finished second place for the MVP, the youngest player in the history of the NBA to finish top three in the MVP. Oklahoma City got that same advantage with Kevin Durant. Someone is about to get that same advantage with Victor Wembenyama, which is a player so good and identified as such at a young age that all of the structures and systems set in place to protect teams from making bad draft picks don't apply to this person. And therefore, if you can get hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue moved, and as at a fixed rate, he is only able to make 10 cents on the dollar, 
for the first four years of his career and then make 60 cents on the dollar for the next four years of his career, that player is incredibly, incredibly valuable to your organization as compared to the alternative, which is a lesser player who has reached free agency and has agency over their own decision, hence what free agency is, a player with agency over their their own decision making $40 million a year who's not going to be able to move the hundreds of millions in revenue that the potential of a Victor Wembenyama, who could win an MVP at 23 years old, like Zion Williamson, will make. And potentially having to trade assets in order to acquire that player who you will then pay $40 million. And so, Victor Wembenyama does not apply to the systems and structures of the NBA. Players who are that skilled and that talented break the system and structure. And by the way, this is only for a handful of players every generation. For those players who are identified as superstars at 16 years old get drafted, and then meet those expectations, those players are breaking the systems and structures of the sport that are designed for the other 99% of players. For the Isaac Okoros, and I'm just picking a name, Isaac Okoro, just to pick on him, and I'm sorry, Isaac Okoro. Isaac Okoro was a top five draft pick by the Cleveland Cavaliers, making about $6 million a year, He's not moving $6 million worth of, of product for the Cleveland Cavaliers. James Wiseman was, well, I mean, James Wiseman's a different case, but because of luxury taxes, James Wiseman was not moving $110 million per year in revenue for the Golden State Warriors. And so as such, Golden State just moved him on to Detroit for five second round picks and Gary Payton Jr. and saved $100 million because... James Wiseman, a former number two pick, was just not worth what he was getting or what that was what that bonus slot was worth. And imagine if they had signed him to an open market contract worth at the time fifty million dollars, which is what a number two pick in the draft would make in a free and open market. So Victor Wembenyama is one of those handful of players that breaks the system and structures of the sport. And because that person breaks the systems and structures of the sport where moves nine figures in in dollars for your organization and you only have to pay him 10 cents on the dollar of what he is worth for four years and then another four years of paying 50 to 60 cents on the dollar, which if you average that out for eight years, for basically a decade, you have to pay this player 30 cents on the dollar of what they are worth and moves nine figures worth of revenue, that's a great deal for your organization. You can make literally hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue over those, over that decade of having that player at a fixed cost. You can move hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. And so the incentive is to take losses on this season in order to capitalize on the hundreds of millions of revenue that will come up in the future. And that's where the tanking system becomes so ingratiated because this is the player that breaks the system and by breaking the system you will make hundreds of millions in revenue because that player who is for all intents and purposes guaranteed to move a hundred million dollars in revenue 
regardless of whether or not he turns out good or not. Because remember, Zion Williamson, they sold out season tickets after the lottery. It wasn't when he started playing. It wasn't when he got hurt in the preseason. It was when they won the draft lottery. It moved hundreds of millions in revenue. So if that player, just by virtue of the possibility that you might be in a position to draft him, moves hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue... I should say tens of millions in the immediate aftermath of Zion. It now adds out to hundreds of millions now that Zion's been in the league for three to four years. Because that breaks the system, you can take losses, whether wins and losses on the court or financial losses, just to get yourself in a position to draft that player. And look, when we're talking about these organizations that go to the very bottom, it's a years-long process to get bad enough to have the probabilities to land a player like Victor Wembenyama. Now for the Pelicans, they got lucky because they went they won the lottery with like a 7.5% chance. They were like the seventh best odds in that lottery. And Anthony Davis was on his way out the door literally that season. That was the That's All Folks t-shirt season when he requested a trade and they didn't oblige and they just didn't play for them anymore. So the Pelicans ended up getting lucky. But if you remember that 2019 lottery, it was after them Memphis, the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks had the best odds that year, and they were thinking they were going to get a Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Zion Williamson trio going into that draft lottery. And so for those teams that didn't get it, I mean, that was a years-long process of getting bad enough to be in a position to draft one of those players. Cleveland had the second worst odds in that draft and ultimately they ended up getting Darius Garland, which, you know, he made an all-star team last year. So they got a very good player out of that season, but that was Cleveland's first season of tanking after LeBron James left and they wouldn't make the playoffs again until the present Cleveland still hasn't made the playoffs in the aftermath of tanking to get Zion Williamson. Like, it's a, it's not just a one year you're bad and then you're back up. I mean, that's the ideal situation. The Spurs did that with Tim Duncan and David Robinson back to back, and they broke the system by getting those two players despite the fact that they weren't a tanking team. For those who even put themselves in a 14% chance of getting that number one pick, it's a years-long process of being bad. The Spurs have been mediocre to bad for four consecutive seasons. The Charlotte Hornets have been bad to mediocre for three consecutive seasons. They got LaMelo Ball in the 2020 draft class. They missed the playoffs in 2021. They lost, or In 2021, they were the 10 seed and lost in the play-in. Last year, they were the 10 seed and lost in the play-in. This year, all that they were building towards by being 10 seeds, all that's pretty much gone now. I mean, Miles Bridges comes from uh, his assault is the reason he's not playing, and he was a fringe all-star last year for Charlotte. Gordon Hayward's not the player he used to be. Trayv- uh, Devontae Graham, who was at one point, I think he finished third for most improved player and was a key part of getting to that 10 seed. He's no longer on the team anymore. Uh, I, Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, they're, they're pretty much done as Charlotte Hornets at this point. 
Even Kelly Oubre, who was brought in two years ago, was being talked about shopped at the deadline this year. And so everything that represented those years just didn't pan out. And so now they're in a position where maybe it's a 14% chance of landing Victor Wembanyama. And even if you don't get Wembenyama, you could be like the Cavaliers and get a Darius Garland, who's now the third best player on a team who is the four seed in the Eastern Conference. Or you could be the Orlando Magic, who get Paolo Bancaro with the number one pick in a year that doesn't have Victor Wembenyama. And you also get Franz Wagner, who's a really, really good player. And you have Wendell Carter Jr. and Cole Anthony, and you're actually building towards something that doesn't involve getting Victor Wembenyama. You could absolutely do that. The easier way to do it is just be the Pelicans where you can fuck up every other draft pick like the Pelicans did. I mean, they picked Kyra Lewis Jr. in the lottery. They picked Jackson Hayes with the eight pick in the draft. Like, they they were bad. I mean, they traded a first-round pick for Jonas Valanciunas and then had to give up another first-round pick to flip him for uh or no they gave up a first round pick for Steven Adams then had to flip another first round pick to get Jonas Valančiūnas which is not good value if you see what first round picks are getting traded for nowadays and so the Pelicans could mess up all over the place and as long as they get Zion healthy and Brandon Ingram playing at least 50 games and then they traded uh, for CJ McCollum which actually ended up being a good trade because the Portland Trailblazers really didn't have a general manager and for some reason tore down their entire roster. Like, you can you can make so many mistakes and having Zion Williamson makes it a little bit better for you. Because as long as you have Zion, you're going to make the playoffs. As long as you have Anthony Davis, you're going to make the playoffs. And theoretically, as long as you have Victor Wembenyama, you're going to make the playoffs. Houston has been terrible. Houston has the worst record in the NBA the last three seasons. Ever since James Harden faked faked playing with being out of shape or the fat suit or whatever the joke was about him not caring anymore. Ever since they traded James Harden in January of 2021, the Rockets have had the worst record in the NBA. With the number two pick, they got Jalen Green, who I'm pretty sure is going to be an all-star at 23 years old like Darius Garland. And they got Jabari Smith, who, you know, we'll see what happens with him at this point. They have Kevin Porter Jr., who's had an incredible NBA career in not the greatest ways and is only 23 years old. They've had the worst team in the NBA for three years. It's not as easy as you're bad for one season and get Wembenyama and now all your problems are solved. Unless you're the team who is bad for one season, gets Victor Wembenyama, and now all your problems are solved. But that's not an ideal strategy. To put yourself in a position to get that player, you have to be bad for years and years and continue to take losses. And as soon as you get that player, who you'll only pay 30 cents on the dollar for, for the next decade, while turning hundreds of millions in profits, once you get that player, you're good. All the losses are worth it because it's such a bleep in the structure or such a a glitch in the structure that you will get that player and all of your problems financially will be solved. And even all of your basketball related problems will be less of problems than they were before because you have that player in the middle of everything. Look at what Cleveland did with LeBron James in going to the finals in 2007. 
and then being bad for four years, getting LeBron back, going to four straight finals, and then missing the playoffs four years in a row. Even when you make bad basketball decisions around all of the mistakes, like drafting Anthony Bennett or drafting Andrew Wiggins and then trading him for Kevin Love, even when you fuck up those decisions, all of your problems are a little less worse just because you have LeBron James. All your problems are a little bit less so because you have Zion Williamson, because you have Luka Doncic, and theoretically, because you have Victor Wembanyama only making 30 cents on the dollar of what he is worth for an entire decade. An entire decade. And it sucks that for those special players, the system is designed that way. And really, you can adjust the system at the very top of the top number one picks. It's just there's not an incentive to because we're only talking about five players in the last 10 years. And for those five players who end up on those five, for those five different teams who get that player, they're stoked about it. They, they crack the code, they crack the system, and if you rotate enough, I mean, Orlando will get one of them, the Pelicans will get one of them, they got two of them with Anthony Davis and Zion Williamson, the Chicago Bulls will get one of them, the Cleveland Cavaliers will get one of them, and whoever ends up winning the draft lottery this year, I mean, Minnesota, actually, Minnesota got three of them, theoretically, because you're talking about Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, and Anthony Edwards were all number one picks. But whoever wins the draft lottery this year between Charlotte, Houston, San Antonio, Detroit, even Detroit's already got Cade Cunningham, Orlando who just got Paolo Bancaro, or any of the other teams who aren't actively trying to tank but also aren't putting a good product on the floor, maybe because they already have their one piece like Indiana with Halliburton or the Thunder with Shy Gilgis-Alexander and Chet Holmgren because they've been tanking for the last three years or the Pelicans, because they have the Lakers draft pick. Whoever ends up being the team that gets that player, the once-every-five-year player who breaks all the structures and systems of the sport, whoever gets that player is going to be stoked about it. And whoever gets the number one pick last year is going to be stoked about it. And when Detroit got Cade Cunningham, they were stoked. And when Minnesota got Anthony Edwards... They were the team that got the competitive advantage, and so there's no incentive to change it. It's just interesting to see how, when the structures and systems are already set up the way that they are, how teams respond to that. Because five of them decided bottom out is the way to go. Give ourselves a 10% chance or a 14% chance at getting that number one pick, of getting that chance of hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue while only having to pay the player 30 cents on the dollar of what he's worth for a decade. And if we can get that, we're stoked about it. Because the player doesn't even have to be good, and we'll move hundreds of millions in revenue. It's a really interesting way it's set up, and five teams have decided this is the year that we need to get that top pick. Only one of them's going to get it, two if you believe in Scoot Henderson, Three, if you believe in just the the draft process will produce all-stars at the top. Only one of them is theoretically going to get it. And it might not even be one of the five who we're talking about being terrible in order to get Wembenyama. 
So for those five teams, they are betting on the probabilities. They're betting on the bottoming out for years because if Wembenyama would have been the number one pick last year, would have been the number one pick this year, would have been the number one pick in 2024 if he didn't play another basketball game for 14 months, if he can do what Joel Embiid did where Joel Embiid played 31 games in three years and still turned into a Hall of Fame generational superstar who's finished top three in the MVP three straight years, if he can turn into what Zion Williamson has done where he's missed full seasons and is still one of the 10 best players in the NBA as soon as he steps on the floor, if he can just be, if he can be Derrick Rose who tore his ACL five years into his career and was never the same, you still move hundreds of millions in revenue. You don't even have to be the next LeBron James. You just have to be the next Anthony Davis. And this will be a massive, massive success for whichever team gets but lucky enough for the right to select you and pay you 30 cents on the dollar of what you are worth to that organization. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up occasionally on Sundays. Remember, tomorrow we're talking to Jeff Garcia of the Locked On Spurs podcast to promote our book. The book's out now. Buy it wherever it is that you get books. It's always much appreciated when you support our dreams as you have continued to support our dreams time and time again here on this fine program. So we'll talk to you again tomorrow. In the meantime, take it easy.